All right, welcome back to Scotiabank Arena. Zach Zarba, the lead official, met with in-house security and also words from the Toronto Fire Department. They are clearing out that section. There appears to be a speaker. That's what we're being told that has overloaded in their... Burrell, as you may have heard at the start of that clip, the Raptors are literally on fire. The speakers in the Scotiabank Arena were lit alight by the Raptors' ball movement, by Precious Achua's form, and by the new bench signing of Armani Brooks. This has been a wonderful little 4-2-1 run for the Raptors with wins yeah. over the likes of the Clippers, uh, the 76ers, and last night, of course, a blowout of the Pacers. But I guess we would both agree that that crucial win over the Cavs, which could decide playing status or not, was probably the most important of the lot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we really didn't want to face Brooklyn because that's what it kind of looks like at the moment. Brooklyn probably won't make it into the top six seed, so they certainly will be in the seven to eight pay in tournament. And so we really want to finish in that top six spot. And really, we're battling with the Cavaliers for that spot. So this was probably the most important game of our season. And yeah, fortunately, we came through. And um, you did mention Armani Brooks there, who made two very, very much crucial threes at the start of the fourth quarter, which allowed us to pull away a bit after the Cavs were on a little bit of a run. Um, and so the big takeaway, really, in these last couple of games has been the fact that our depth has been our strength. And it's something we've harped on about as our, as our weakness for the vast majority of the season. It actually looks to be our strength at the moment. And so it's very promising to see this going into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, imagine saying that earlier in the season. Um, but now... As you say, we do have a functional bench. You not only got Armani Brooks to take some pressure off Van Vliet, but you have the developing Chris Boucher, who has had a wonderful couple of months where he's, he's basically stopped playing hero ball and he's stopped making rash decisions and he started playing more within himself, which in his case is a good thing. Of course, Precious Achua, a raw prospect at the start of the season, developing in this Raptor system. And as we've said many a time before, or as I've been very high on him, Tadeus Young that veteran presence um, kind of can defend two to five. So you've yeah. got those four excellent players now coming off the bench. But I feel that, you know, we still, we do expect it from him, but we still need to give credit to Pascal Siakam. 35 points, you know, against a lengthy team, admittedly one without Jarrett Allen, who was probably most worried, but one with Evan Mobley, you know, who could, may have been tipped as a Siakam stopper or a star stopper before the game. But, you know, if you go 12 of 20 from the field, and that includes six of seven from three, as well as getting uh, five rebounds and six assists, you're not going to complain about that. I mean, that's number one option stuff, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so. 100%. And he had an all-round game, uh, as you pointed out. I would say, though, the, the absence of Jared Allen is massive. He, in my opinion, he's, he was easily a top three defensive player of the year candidate this season. So, somebody who's very much not been talked about by the media at all. In my opinion, he really should have been in the All-Star game as well. Um, just offensively and defensively, he's just been unbelievable this season. So he has been a big miss for this Cavaliers team, which is why they dropped down the standings uh, in the past few weeks. Um, so that 
that can't be understated how important he is to this team's defence, especially. I wouldn't quite say Mobley is mature enough in his body to stop or even slow down somebody like Siakam, who's probably got 20, 30 pounds on him, you know, who's now incredibly muscular after his physical de- development these past few seasons. So, um, not downplaying uh, Siakam's performance. He's been outstanding uh, these past couple of games, but um, he, he, I don't think he would have, you know, played this well with Jarrett Allen on the floor. But, um, yes, it was his performance here was very much needed. I think uh, the rest of the starters um, struggled a little bit or they... Um, you didn't see, for example, another twenty-point game from any of the other starters. Um, fortunately, we did get we did get seventeen points off the bench from Chris Boucher as well. Again, another massive contribution. And uh, yeah, Boucher is legitimately looking like one of the best sixth men in the league. So yeah, that's been uh, as you were saying, that's been fantastic too. Yeah, I mean, uh, one other thing you can say about this game in particular, kind of the numbers that the Raptors have become a legitimate three-point threat or at least moved more into the middle of the pack than they were before this of course was a game excluding someone like Gary Trent Jr but if you have that threat and you have you know reasonable spacing then paint threats like Siakam like Scotty Barnes even like OG become a lot more prevalent and you know it's just having those multiple threats um, even if you're slightly weaker in the half-court offense than most of their NBA teams at least allow some offensive proficiency to shine through. So that was a, you know, a very, very solid win over the Cavs. You know, it's they've been a team that have tortured us this season. You know, yeah. they've won the last three games, so they still hold the tiebreaker. But, you know, if the Raptors carry on and they've got a pretty decent schedule going forward, that sixth seed should be ours. And, you know, you someone, I'd bite your hand off for that at the start of the year, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. You definitely. know, I was thinking we'd fight for playing, but now we're fighting to get ahead of the plane, which is way beyond many people's expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so I wanted to just look, I mean, another, I think the second most important result was win over the 76ers. You know, this was a fully healthy team with Harden and Embiid playing 37 and 38 minutes each, respectively. And of course, since the trade, especially, uh, Philly, Philly are no mugs, to put it, put it lightly, but They've uh, the Raptors did a really really good job. It was a tight game. It reminded me a lot of that 2019 series where you know most of the games are under both teams scored under 100 points, and this was no different. 93, 88 to the Raptors, um, but they kind of they kind of just forced forced Philly off their game a little bit. What do you what what do you think was more important? You know, the grinding offense or the kind of su- suffocating defense? Oh well, it's definitely a defensive performance. Harden, this this was one of the most empty stats games I've ever witnessed. He had seventeen points, which, in all fairness, okay, is probably below his average. But he had nine rebounds and eight assists. So you might think, oh yeah, you almost had a triple double. But offensively speaking, he was so non-aggressive. He'd get off the floor. He'd he'd like. It's not the typical Harden where we'd see, you know, he'd take, if he sees any sort of mismatch, he'd uh, take four or five dribbles, see if he can't get past his man. And if if he's not able to, you know, drive past them or um, if he's not feeling comfortable with the step back, he then passes out. He just run the ball up the court and without even attempting anything, he just look, look for the pass straight away. 
it was he was so so passive and I hadn't seen him really play like this in a Philadelphia uniform apart from uh, there, there was that big game I can't remember who it was against it was, maybe it was against the Bucks I'm not sure who it was where oh I think it was against Brooklyn where again he completely disappeared and he was passive like this but that's the only other game I've seen him play like this and he just looked horrible that it, it, it was so easy for us to defend and it may well have been because he felt when he's bringing the ball up the court that there was no real mismatch on the defensive end there was nobody he was looking to target because you'd either have Scotty on him or um, I want to say uh, Ananobi but that might not be uh, correct I don't actually think he played in this game but um, I, do I don't know if he missed it no the, uh, but you someone like I mean I the overall thing Scotty on him this game and, and he yeah. did not he, Scotty stripped him twice, I believe, in two really important uh, possessions back-to-back. I think it was in the fourth quarter. And, it, yeah, it, he just did not look like he wanted to go against Scotty at all. Of course, Scotty's one of the, probably the best perimeter, like, stealing um, players in the league in terms of, you know, putting pressure on the ball and getting that steal, getting up the floor, you know, forcing the turnover and um, leading the fast break. Um, and he did that exceptionally well, again, this game. But... Yeah, I think he really did lock Harden down, um, which is probably why Harden became so passive as the game wore on. And another massive thing is <laughs> we just put bodies in the paint against Embiid. Again, one of Embiid's probably worst performances this season. I couldn't believe how successful we were at defending when he's a player I've always said that we would probably struggle against this year without um, a certified, you know, quote-unquote big man. Yeah, and I mean, there's two points that come from there and they both relate to the same thing. Harden and Embiid both struggle because of this Raptors philosophy of being everyone being able to defend one to five and everyone being long and everyone being sort of six, nine, six, ten. And so it didn't matter who Embiid was on. He was always on a solid six, nine, six, ten defender who then would get help from another similar defender. Yeah, exactly. And these two wins, I think, against the one against Denver a couple of weeks, a week ago or so, and this one proved that the Raptors can hang with the seven-foot stars. So I'm very, very encouraging this win more than anything. While the uh, Cleveland was a team performance and proved that Raptors can go up against the best teams, this proved that the Raptors can go, go up against the best big men in the league. So very, yes. very satisfying that. And and you look at Embiid, you think of, um, I mean, he grabbed 13 rebounds in the end. But yeah. offensive rebounds, the Raptors once again dominated 20. Boucher had five. Ken Birch had five. Precious had five. And the Raptors rebounded them 56 to 40. Yeah. So it's absolutely crucial. Everyone can rebound. Everyone can defend every position. And this philosophy is really playing out extremely well. And the, I think the most important part about this philosophy of just sending one or two bodies into the paint against Embiid, I would have thought Embiid would still be able to get his numbers. And then, of course, you're crossing your fingers when he does kick the pass out, whether that whether the perimeter players end up knocking down their outside shots. And this is why I thought the Seth Curry trade, it wasn't um, the Seth Curry. I can't believe I called it the Seth Curry trade. The Ben <laughs> Simmons trade is what part of the reason why I thought losing Seth Curry was so huge for them. They weren't exactly a team that was making um, a, a massive amount of um, outside shots anyway. They don't have that many outside shooters. So again, it was evident in this performance that um, what, when Embiid was able to get it out of the paint because he didn't really turn the ball over much he only had one turnover but 
the shooters he had around him just weren't knocking it down. I think they ended up shooting 25% from the floor. Tobias Harris was zero from four, for example. Harden was zero from four. Um, so, yeah, he didn't exactly get the help he needed from his outside shooters. So, this was pretty much, the I'd say for any team in the league, we probably get, put, set out the blueprint of how to defend against this Philadelphia team. Of course, it won't work every time. And Bede will sometimes go for 30 or 40, even if you uh, play perfectly or uh, play as well as we did. But this is very much the way to beat them. And hence, if we do meet them in the first round of the playoffs, which is certainly a possibility at this stage, I'm, you know, I would have said maybe two, three weeks ago, I would have been quite, um, you know, it's not scared, but, you know, a bit tentative, a bit hesitant about playing them. But now, yeah, after seeing this game, I'm, I'm pretty confident about going against them. It's certainly not, they're not heavy favourites against us, I believe. Yeah, and the good thing is the uh, tactics all seem to be just coming together at the right time for this roster. And uh, as we said, those like Thaddeus Young or Marnie Brooks just slotting in and adding that depth. So, um you know, being gassed out basically isn't an option. I mean, the only problem where we did face that was probably in the Bulls game yeah. the next night. But, you know, you have kind of a couple of road games back-to-back against the top of the Eastern Conference. Eventually, you're going to run out of steam. And um, they simply put they did in the third quarter against um, the Bulls. They were, in fact, wrapped to a point ahead at halftime, then lost that third sort of 30-18. to 18. There's not too much we need to discuss there. I mean, at the end of the day these kind of schedule losses do happen and it's not a massive deal. We don't see maybe how the Raptors would shape up against um, the Bulls in the playoffs from this game. This is not like the Philly game, not like a blueprint. So wow. we, I'd say, what do you think? Am I, am I well, worrying too little? Look at DeMar's performance in this game though? Yeah, I mean, someone like DeMar is kind of the antithesis to what the Raptors are trying to defend against, though, right? He's like a yeah, yeah. mid-range, trying to get to the free-throw line scorer. Raptors are very good at defending pain players now and three-point shooters. So he's kind of in the middle of all that. Yeah. Like, An enigma. We, we like giving away mid-range shots, but he was very happy taking them. He was 10 Yeah, of, that's the problem. <laughs> 10 of 10 from two. It was unbelievable. He only missed three three-point shots. Um, yeah, so he looked, he looked exceptional. I think you're spot on about um, lethargy and, you know, tiredness affecting us this game because... A lot of the points we um, we lo- uh, bled in that third quarter. It was just uh, f- fast breaks, and not necessarily even turnovers, but they were just getting out on the offense so quickly, and um, their tempo and pace of play was very high, and we just really couldn't keep up. I think there was three or four possessions in a row where they stretched out to like a ten point lead by just getting up the floor quickly, and um, I think it is something we ca- we probably do need to worry about in the playoffs, um, especially when they get Lonzo Ball back, who is, again, an exceptional transition player. And he wasn't even there this game, and they looked really dangerous in their transition offense. So, um, yeah, I think we, we do, fortunately, we have a team that's young enough that I believe that, you know, uh, in the playoffs, as long, as long as we have the right rotations, we won't... We won't um, you know, defend like we did in this game. I think Tyrus, like you said, had a big role to play. But yeah, this Bull team, Bulls team, in my opinion, uh, they're probably the second best team in the East after Milwaukee. So I really don't want to see them in the playoffs. And but I, and I and I'd feel more confident playing Milwaukee in a seven-game series than than the Bulls. To be perfect. No honest. shot. 
with this, with this roster, with I think with this particular roster construction when it comes to the Raptors, but the Bucks will prove, and I think have proven in get earlier games this season to be a better match for us. We still have a yeah. game against them, but for now, there's the hot take. And it's not only based on this game, it's just based on, you know, what's what's to come, essentially, you know. Yeah, the thing about this Bulls roster, Kamel, they've actually they've got Patrick Williams back, who looks like he's slowly getting into it. Of course, they've had Kobe White back for a while. Um, this team, again, when Lonzo Ball comes back, they'll have 10 to 11 very good NBA players. There's not anyone who's remotely close to a scrub. Even somebody like Javonte Green has been playing very well for them recently. It's probably their worst player in their in their like nine ten man, uh, you know, uh, playing roster. Um, I'm not sure how to call it, but yeah, um, they are they're quite similar to us. So I guess that's why. They're a slightly different matchup to somebody like Milwaukee, who relies more so on like one dominant player with, um, you know, his supporting troops. But the reason why Milwaukee for me, by they're by far and away favourites. A is because of you know they've got this championship experience, but B, they've been hampered by injuries and the likes of Chris Middleton, but especially Drew Holiday. Like Drew Holiday's had an exceptional season, and again the. The media's basically just ignored this completely. Like when we, even when we were discussing who should have been the All Star Kamel, I don't think we brought Drew Holiday's name up. Um, and no, he's had a relatively quiet season, but the amount of good he's done, you're right. No, no, he he's been their second best player. So like, I don't know why Chris Middleton made it and he didn't when he's been their second best player. And it's it's all like it's not even close in my opinion uh, with the impact he's had. Uh, but yeah, I think Milwaukee, Miles, like by far and away favourites to come out of the East. And yeah, I don't want to face this Bulls roster. But talking about, um, you know, coming towards the end of the season, because I think we've got maybe seven or eight games left. Eight games, uh, that's right. Eight games. One question I wanted to ask you this episode, Kamel. Do you think we should be, you know, looking to be quite sly in terms of, how many games we want to win in terms of what kind of seed we want. Should we be watching higher up the table and trying to position ourselves to play against a favourable matchup? Or do you think we should look to just try and win every game? Because one team I think uh, has certainly seemed to be trying to play that play the odds a little bit is uh, the Miami Heat. Because yeah, they, exactly. they haven't really had any sort of substantial injuries, but they've just looked off their game. And it's clear to me that they did not want to finish the first seed and hence have a chance of playing against Brooklyn in the first round. Uh, so do you think we should be following a similar sort of philosophy or do you think we should just try and win out for the rest of the season? Well, the, re- the problem with playing the game when you're in the Raptors position is that you could easily fall into the play-in. And as exciting as it is, you simply don't want the risk of sort of those three or four extra games that you have to get through. So Raptors sixth at the minute. I mean, if we did it at the minute, they'd be playing the Boston Celtics, which if you look at that Eastern Conference team, and I know Tatum's going off, and I know the Celtics are playing extremely well at the minute. That's the team you want to face. And um, I would say even if the Raptors do maybe in their last eight games go six and two or whatever, you're not you're not really gonna overtake the likes of sh- Chicago and Milwaukee. 
So you should be looking behind you, not in front of you when it comes to the Raptors mm, um, seed. Just don't just don't fall into that playing, you know, because that and, can and be you a think, real we, slippery slope. You, you think like we should not try and even, for example, an example I can think of is if Brooklyn were to make the sixth seed, do you think we shouldn't then be happy to fall to the seventh seed if we think, oh, we've got a favourable matchup against the second seed? Of course, we'd be taking the risk of having to play that extra playing game. Do you think that would be a step too far? Playing yeah, a game but like playing, playing game, because of the kind of nature of it, you know, it's a sort of one and done or a little best of three and it's so it's so unpredictable. Yeah. This Raptors team, I think, is built to kind of match teams over seven games. Mm, it's a, kind mm. of a long-term thing. But in one game, you know, the three-point shot doesn't fall or, you know, the rotations aren't right. Or Van Vliet's shot doesn't fall, for example. Um, well, you're still really strong. We, we have quite a high-risk defensive strategy as well, don't we? True. That's why it's it's needs in terms of, you know, pure statistics, permutations. It needs to play itself out over seven games to kind of prove itself, prove its worth, if yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, that's that's an interesting note to finish on. Actually, I mean, of course, the Raptors did have other games in this streak. You know, as we oh. said, win over the Clippers, a blowout, forty point blowout of the Pacers, who are a bit of a mean team at the minute, and uh, in a serious rebuild themselves yeah. following that Kings trade. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course, a loss to the Lakers, which included a buzzer beater, Westbrook three. So I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad to give him some confidence. You know, Hall of <laughs> Hall of Famer, right? It's really unfortunate to see what what's happened this season, but you know Raptors just doing them a little favor and not too much detriment to Toronto themselves. And uh, we of course we got to see LeBronto again. You know, a couple of famous fadeaway threes, bank bank oh, shots. Oh yeah, uh, he was exceptional. He was exceptional. He was yeah, uh, good good to see him. Year nineteen, right? I mean, just just brilliant, brilliant. He still he still can't keep he can't stop rubbing it in our face. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, did you I see he got whole... the um he got the Razzle Award for the worst worst actor? For his role in Space Jam, oh, too. I did not know that. And yeah, um, probably fully thought... deserved. I, have you? Did he watch the film? Yeah, it was. I uh, went. I went to the cinema. I think I watched it. I watched it twice. So I watched it at least once. Um, just just wanted to see LeBron act. Really, I mean, after his role in Entourage, I was just like, this guy can do anything. But clearly, as this award shows, um, he's better just scoring basket baskets against Toronto, really, and stat padding, uh, to get that scoring record. Uh, he's not too far off, is he? Uh, um, second all-time scorer. No, I, I think I think there's bad. a little bit of a jump from Karl Malone to uh, to Kareem. I I don't think he's on pace to get the scoring record this season, um, unless unless I'm wrong. I, I'm actually kind of curious about that. But um, yeah, I think regard- I, I think regard- for him, yeah, go on. What were you going to say? No, exactly. regardless of you know the Lakers' current struggles, I mean he's just putting up sort of thirty plus every single game. Which um, is completely ludicrous. And yeah. Kamel, the interesting thing is, if if they had lost that game, there's there's a real possibility that um, I'm not sure if they would have been out of the paying race even, but they may, may have well have been around the tenth seed in the West if they'd lost that game to us. So <laughs> yeah, but let's face it, in the West, I mean, the East is so much more competitive than the West this year. No one wants that tenth seed in the West. You see the tanking teams. You see Portland just, you know, blown up their whole roster and they're in 11th spot, I believe. So it would be even some miracle for the Lakers to fall out of that. I Do you really think the East is much more competitive than the West? It's a bloodbath in the East. I mean, everyone's trying to get in. I mean, you have like teams like Washington and Indiana, you know, compared to 
who have serviceable rosters compared to you know some of the Western Conference bottom dwellers, essentially. No, that that's how I would look at it. I think that some of the teams at the top of the West probably are on better form than the top oh, teams in the East. Yeah. But yeah, I think all those middle teams, yeah, there's just a lot of competitiveness. Like the fact that the Hawks are the ten seed. And Man, this is yeah. a team that was in the conference finals and probably would match up well against most of the playoff teams in the West. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the, those middle teams especially are really competitive in the East. But no, the West, the West of course, will be really interesting. I think um, you've had some analysts saying the Grizzlies may even be the favourites to come out of the West, which I think is quite a bold take. But um, the West... Well, it shows the progress they've made, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, I th- so I think the West is quite up in the air as well when it comes to the playoffs. Um, so yeah, I think this this year potentially is shaping up to be one of the most competitive playoff years that we've had in recent memory. I can't actually think of another one where we have potentially this many title contending teams. Um, so yeah, I'm very, very, very excited going into these last few fixtures and just to see how the whole payoff picture shapes up. Big time. And uh, yeah, we'll end on that. You know, we're uh, eight games left in the season. Probably have a couple more regular season episodes for you. And unlike last year, we will have an extended playoff run. You know, it was a bit bit lonely <laughs> yeah. last year watching all those other teams, I think, for the first time. Yeah. Kind of just leave the Raptors behind. But no, we'll, we'll, whatever happens in the last eight games, have a stake in the postseason. And what a refreshing thing that is to say in a retooling season. Well, it's been great having you again. Um, we'll see you next time. Yeah, take care, everyone. Yes, it, yes, it was. Uh, be classy. San Diego, who is it, right? Ron Jeremy, is that right? Ron Burgundy? Anchorman. Ron Burgundy? I don't know. Somebody. Ron somebody. Ron somebody. Ron Howard. Well, I see. Ron Burgundy, right? B classy, San Diego. And he had the crazy jacket. Who did I say, Ron? Who? No, don't say it. I don't know. It's late. Stop. Stop. Oh, no. Even... I don't even know what Ron said. After 1979, Jack.